Hey everyone, it's me and I'm back with another episode of my Best Vintage Life podcast. This week I have a special guest to close out season two. Her name is Melina Martinez and she is the founder of Melina's Vintage Boutique in Westchester, Pennsylvania, a place that I hold special to my heart and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. If you'd like to reach out to us via email, feel free to do so at admin at mybestvintagelifepodcast.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at mybestvintagelifepodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. I usually spend more time on Instagram, so that's where you'll see the most content from me. If you'd like to call, you can do so at area code 559-365-6743. That's 559-365-6743. If you would like to rate or review the podcast, which I would appreciate tremendously, you could do so on the Apple Podcast app or through Podchaser. Podchaser supports just about any type of user. Podcast app for Apple is just Apple. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of the people who have written reviews the last week or two. I've gotten so many new ones, and that's so helpful because every time – you leave a rating or give me a review it just helps my podcast become more visible within the sites where it's hosted so thank you thank you so much you can also check out our website mybestvintagelifepodcast.com you can reach me through there as well if you don't want to use the first email i gave you you can also read our blog sign up for emails and do some shopping while you're there okay into my episode with Melena Martinez. So Melena's store is in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and I um, went to college in Westchester, Pennsylvania at Westchester University. And I have to say one of the main reasons I think why I ended up going to that school is because the town itself is super charming, has a lot of great history, has a lot of pop culture history. Um, If you've watched the show Jackass or Viva La Bam, you've definitely seen Westchester. And it's funny because people in California recognize the name of the town to this day when I tell them that that's where I went to school, not to be confused with Westchester County, New York, which is one word, Westchester, Pennsylvania is two. But anyway, um, it's just, it was a really great place to go to school, super safe and, and fun place. And I, um, really fell in love with Malena's and uh, her original shop. She's since changed locations, but her original shop was amazing and she was always super kind to me. And I still have a piece that I bought from her, which is super cool. Um, She has an amazing taste and I'm just, I'm so excited for this interview with her. So please stay tuned for my interview with Malena. today. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really yeah, appreciate it. Of course. Um, I thought we could start out the interview just by you telling my listeners a little bit about yourself, your early life, or anything that you think is interesting to your story. Sure, sure. Um, well, I started collecting vintage when I was about 10, 12. I just kind of liked things that were 
unique that nobody else had. Like I had a love of thrifting and then that really just evolved into vintage. Um, I'm from the Westchester area, which is right outside of Philadelphia and went to school in New York for fashion design business, worked at vintage shops in New York and consignment shops. And then, um, Wanted to get a taste of it for my own and started my store in 2003, like about a month after my 23rd birthday. Okay. Where um, did you go to school in New York? I went to Pratt for oh, nice. my four-year. Yeah, yeah. And then I did, during high school, I did some classes at um, Parsons and at FIT. Lovely. Wow. So you kind of got a, a well-rounded taste of all the schools there. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> What were some of the um, the stores that you worked at in New York? Are any of them still in existence? Yeah. Um, well, Olive's very vintage. She recently, like within the past six months, eight months, um, closed down her store. But she has like a showroom now and sells online. Um, I used to sell things to Patina, who is mm-hmm. now strictly on um, First Dibs, I okay. think. So whenever we do the Manhattan Vintage Show and things are normal, right. I get to still see those ladies and it's just so great. You know, well, you know that's actually one thing I never got to visit and, and regret not doing while I was out there. I've never been to the Manhattan Vintage Show. Do you do you like being a vendor there? I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, normally a two-day show, Friday, Saturday. So Friday is more so dealers and designers. And then Saturday is a lot of the regular customers. And people come from all over the world. It's like a really nice community. It's a relaxed event. Like, it's fun. And you get to see stuff that is, like, mind-boggling. It's I'm super sure. fun. Yeah, no, I mean, some of the imagery I've seen, they're just very rare pieces or unique pieces. And I think... You know, if you appreciate vintage as much as you and I do and my listeners do, you love seeing that sort of thing. So that's awesome. Do you have any word as to when the next one will be or is it kind of up in the air? We just heard recently that the October show, they just pushed that to the first weekend in December. Oh, okay. So not too Um, bad. Not too bad. We'll we'll see. (laughs) I know. It's like fingers crossed um, because, you know, really missed doing it and the April show got canceled. Um. So they did do some online takeovers from different shops for their feed, which was super fun. We got to be a part of that. Um, So they're definitely looking at other ideas on how to continually engage people. Um, But it's not the same as being able to try it on, you know? No, no. At least they found something, though, in the meantime to kind of pacify that that interest. So that's cool. Okay. Um, So you said you started Milena's uh, Vintage Boutique in 2003 in Westchester. Why why did you choose Westchester? Obviously, I know you grew up in the area, but did you have a specific reason why you wanted to start the store there? I was really young, you know, 23, like I was recently out of college, and I was really worried about the financial investment of you know, what if I stayed in New York City and started the shop there mm-hmm. and it was thousands and thousands of dollars a month and it didn't work out, you right. know? So my thinking was, let me start it in my hometown where I know that, that the rent and the overhead would be significantly less. See if I liked being a store owner, seeing if it worked. And then if I wanted to relocate back to New York, I could and and take on like a, a bigger financial, you know, deficit, if you will, at the beginning of any business. Um But 2003 was really a time when people started um, was expanding. PayPal was becoming easier to use. Um, Social media was Mm -hmm. starting to ramp up for small businesses. 
So what I would do is I would just email photos and you have to think this is with a digital camera with like a card in yeah, the side. Memory card. You your, right. <laughs> you had to put to the side of your computer um, to, just to send somebody photos. So oh, yeah. I would, I would sell dealers, you know, pieces from my store up there. I thought, well, I could sell to New York and not have to pay the overhead of being there. Oh, the overhead is insane. I mean, mm-hmm. even back then now it's just, yeah. I remember thinking it was going to cost me four times more oh my God. <laughs> to be, and I was even looking in Brooklyn at the time right. and that was just a two hour drive. Um, so every once in a while too, I would load up the car with stuff and like drive to New York and to meet with people that I would know and, and sell pieces to them there. Yeah. No, I think, I think you made the the right choice in the end. I'm sure, I'm sure you feel that way as well. I mean, you have a really great community there and I mean, obviously I can attest to that as well, spending so much time in Westchester and college. So I think, yeah, I think you made yeah. the right choice. Um, that being said, what is it, what is it like selling vintage in a quote college town? Do, do you feel like it presents any specific rewards or challenges you know, the, the college that is here doesn't have a lot of art-based majors. No, they don't. Um, <laughs> um, so it, it's it, the university here is more like, I think of, you know, sororities and fraternities and, you know, more like academics. I wish that we were near like art schools in New York that I'm used to because um, this vintage it definitely takes a certain kind of person and a certain personality. Um but we do get a lot of those kids that come in and want our accessories that maybe they're not in a confident enough or that their style isn't in a place where they're going to wear like a crazy seventies flowing dress and like a fringe jacket, but they might want like a cool statement necklace or like a designer vintage bag. Right. So like the smaller, the little pieces that they can use to kind of mm-hmm. mix in with their, with their wardrobe. Well, I can right. say that I must've been a rare bird in that sense because I always loved coming in when I was in <laughs> I just like couldn't wait to see your new stuff and just come in and look so but you know at the same time I was um I mean I I guess it was probably like sophomore or junior year I'm like all right gotta step it up gotta get ready for class and look better and you know half the people were still in like their their PJs and their North Flight, their North Face, and their you know pink pants, their Victoria's Secret pink pants, and everything that was going on back then. So I kind of I made the personal choice to step it up. But I know a lot of college kids; they're just more about comfort, you know, at that point in time in their life. So right, right. And uh, I met one of my best friends through him coming into um, the shop back then that he went to the university and. I remember him coming in and being like, I've, I've got a hundred pairs of, you know, vintage women's 1940s shoes that he collected. And now he's like an extremely popular um, drag queen in Philly. And, you know, 15, 16 years later, we're still great friends. I love that. So I think that my, my original store, the smaller store really was like an oasis for some people like that, that you couldn't really shop online that easily. Maybe you didn't have the budget, um, to go to larger cities and it was kind of like this little jewel. Um, totally. Totally. Um, I guess my next question would be what eras do you focus on within your shop for anybody that's never been there or is unfamiliar with your store? So one of the things that I did with the shop very early on was kind of diversify. Um, so I sell online on a couple different platforms and then there's also the boutique and the showroom. 
So that being said, each area kind of has a different um, focus and a different customer. So I will do pieces from, I barely do the 1980s, but mostly 1970s, even all the way through like the 1850s. Okay. So on our eBay site, that's where you'll see some more of the Victorian and the Edwardian pieces that are great for inspiration or repairs or, you know, making into costumes. You'll see finer pieces on Etsy, um, also like 1970s gowns and 60s. I love the Victorian jewelry. So I joke that we have like over 100 years worth of stuff from all over the world. Yeah. Well, I like that you <laughs> that you decided to do that, to use different platforms for different eras in time. I think it probably keeps things more organized for you as well, at least like in terms of your thought process when you're, you know, trying to list something. Okay, this is where I'm going to put it because this is where it fits. Yeah. And when we do costuming for some people too, or like theme parties, you know, somebody might want an Edwardian look, but it's not in a price range that they're comfortable with. So right. being able to provide, you know, a 1970s gunny sacks type outfit that reflects that style um, is a good option for those customers as well. Or if you want like a 20s piece, we can kind of show you some of like the 60s items that have a boxier shape and, you know, throw on like a long pearl necklace. Yeah, um, like a, here's a nice drop waist dress. It's not from the 20s, but, you know, you can make it work. You're, you're going to make it work for this this party or this right. photo shoot. Yeah. Totally. Very cool. What era would you say is your all-time favorite? Do you have one or do you have more than one? I have more than one. I, I love Victorian jewelry, mm-hmm. especially like the really weird stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I love the hair jewelry, um, things with lions or cats on it, I think is really fun. And then clothing wise, my body shape definitely leans more towards 70s. Um, And I see you in a lot of 70s pieces. (laughs) And I think they totally work for you. I think you look great in them. So I I love Victorian jewelry as well. I love, I mean, Queen Victoria's... um, her ring itself from from Prince Albert, the snake ring that she had was so, so, you know, for that time, it just seemed so out of place. But I, I personally love that sort of thing, you know, the animal pieces like that. So, definitely. yeah, we were in London in September and oh. um, I know <laughs> <laughs> and just the, the jewelry and, and the eras that you see there, you know, they have so much more history than we do. Oh, yeah. Um, and I have. I'm like obsessed with Persian turquoise jewelry and, and oh, like yes. high carat gold. Um, and I think with their proximity and their connections to India and Morocco, like you see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I love that you just don't see here as much totally. in the States. No, I, I nerd out over that sort of thing. I, I would love to just go to to London or the UK itself and just do like – a trip based off of that sort of thing. You know what I mean? See the jewels and, and kind of just browse around because I think there's just, there's so much to see and they're definitely, they have that history over there. I'm constantly looking at like tiaras and big, brooches and stuff like that you know because I just I find it so fascinating I feel like it just has it was never a part of our culture here so it's just to us I think it's like it's more exciting because of that so yeah my my family is from Argentina so going to the flea markets in Buenos Aires you see 
things from all over the world also. Um, so in like the 1880s, 1890s, um, Argentina was the sixth wealthiest country in the world. Mm-hmm. So people from all over started to move there. Right. Um, so you see things from, you know, Japan and China, and then you also see pieces from France. Oh, it, lots it's just of like, Europeans moved to Argentina. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, the flea markets there in San Telmo and Recoleta are just unbelievable. There's a woman there who has a store that's three stories of just Edwardian dresses. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> And you have to have a buzzer and she still might not let you in, you know what I mean? One and everything those, yeah. is under plastic, but um it's it's a real treasure trove. Yeah. But then you see kind of in the sixties, seventies when there wasn't a lot of money in the country, you don't see a ton of pieces from that time frame. Right. Like you see like these capsules of these decades where they had a lot of money and then nothing, oh. you know. Oh, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't, yeah. I wasn't expecting you to say that. So that's a very, a fun tidbit for the listeners. Yeah. Um, where do you, where do you source most of your inventory? So I buy from the general public a lot. Um, I've always advertised that, that if you are a thrifter or you are downsizing or you've had somebody in your family pass away and you're mm-hmm. starting to help, you know, clean out their house, if you have vintage or antique items, bring them my way. Yeah. Um, and my store phone has always, well, not always, it's been a cell phone for at least six or seven years. Mm-hmm. So people text us photos or they'll DM us. Um, we make appointments with these people and buy outright. So nice. when when things were, were hopping and doing super well, we would probably purchase from 20 to 30 people a week. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, um, I, I feel like that area um, and for, I guess, for the listeners that, you know, that aren't as familiar with the area it has such a rich history. You know what I mean? And I feel like there are probably so many pockets of just little gold mines everywhere that yeah. even you might be surprised sometimes as to what you find. I was shocked yesterday. I, I had a woman call me. She said, I'm 15 minutes from your store, which now we're doing appointment only, you know, right. I said, okay. She said, my car is full. Oh my uh, okay. <laughs> so this hasn't happened in a while, you know? So she shows up, she's probably in her mid twenties. She said she used to shop at the store. Her grandmother used to own a dress shop in Berlin. Okay. Nice. Her grandmother was in her nineties. Yeah. And just passed away. And the girl was like, I remember shopping here in high school and I thought that you might be interested. So she's bringing me all these dead stock. I've got 70s through 50s so far, everything in garment bags oh um, and just these fantastic pieces. Um, so I am going to be going to the house this weekend because they're just overwhelmed with inventory. And she said, oh, wait, I forgot you do jewelry. There's like a room full of jewelry, which is dresser <gasps> drawers. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh um, that see that's the stuff that's that's why we do what we do you yeah, know you kind of you gonna, live for that thing <laughs> you do you do and I, i'm gonna talk to her and see you know can i share more of that story in the name of of the shop um she showed me pictures of her grandmother she was stunning um but it is somebody's family so you don't want to right i understand you know, yeah we have to be sensitive about that what would you say is your most memorable haul um that you've ever done can you think of one in particular? 
Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably like five years ago, a woman came in during a, a big festival we had and she said, well, I have more jewelry than you have in this whole store. And people's perception of how much they have is normally amplified by their mm-hmm. emotional connection. Of course. And I said, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So she said, well, can you come to the house? Because I can't. It's too much to fit in my SUV. Oh, my God. Sure. <laughs> so my husband and I went to this house and her mother was the magical combination of a shopaholic and a hoarder. Oh, yeah. So not only would she buy this rhinestone set from Trafari from the 30s in three different colors, but she would hold on to it for decades at a time. So... Those file boxes, you know, that have mm-hmm. like a little handle cut on each side. Um, so my husband and I spent eight hours going through about 50 of those. Oh, my God. And everything was some boxes and never used. And she said to me, she's like, you know, I'm, I've lost my mom's engagement ring. It's somewhere Aww. in this. She said, and it's a three-carat solitaire. Oh if you find it, could you let me know? And my husband found the ring. And all of this stuff. And we gave it back to her. And it was like this really like nice moment because, you know, there's some people out there that really would have just put that in their pocket. Oh, three carat solitaire. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and (laughs) so she continued to call me every couple of months for over a year. So I estimated that she probably had upwards of 50,000 pieces of jewelry. Oh, my God. That's unreal. It was it was unreal. I'm telling you that she had um, like a Tahoe type SUV, and sometimes she would just show up with boxes piled to the ceiling, and inside were all jewelry boxes. Oh um, my god! <laughs> one of my biggest regrets is you know because in the world of vintage and you're buying from estates, you have to have cash on hand right. basically, or like be able to write be able to write a check for a significant amount. You can't give these people a visa. Nope. I mean, yes, you can get a line of credit, but it's a little bit difficult. So I really regret not taking out a loan at the time. Yeah. And just buying everything. Right. How like what percentage uh, of it did you end up buying? I probably bought about 20 percent um and then a lot of other pieces were newer or maybe just i had already had multiples at this point right right so i kind of farmed it out to other people in the area and had i looked at the bigger picture i should have just bought everything and then even made 10 percent on that yeah by selling it to other people or 15 percent um or renting a second second space and just having a vintage jewelry store right Um, but it was, it was very, very overwhelming to see that much stuff. Um, she came in the store about a year ago and she said, do you remember me? I said, oh yeah, I remember you. Yeah. How can I forget? (laughs) So I did keep a couple of treasured pieces from that hall, um, that still remind me of that experience. So. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I wasn't yeah. expecting jewelry, so that, I mean, I just can't imagine that anybody has that much jewelry, except for like maybe I don't know the queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was rooms, it was bedrooms full of jewelry. Oh my god! <laughs> well, kind of talking about inventory and you know stuff like that. You, I feel like your store has always been very organized. How do you how do you keep it that way? Do you have any tips for listeners who themselves have brick and mortars? And just, you know, keeping an organized shop. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to invest in a point of sale system Mm -hmm. um, that helps you kind of categorize some things and and really spot some trends on what it is that you're selling. Um, A lot of places that I see still just do like an old school receipt book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 10, 15 years ago, these point of sale systems were really cost prohibitive for small businesses to own. Right. Um, a challenge now that some of them have is that they have a limit on the amount of items you can have or SKUs, right? Right. So, you know, if you're a coffee shop or a restaurant and you have 50 different items or 100 different items, it's not an issue. But when we have, you know, 5,000 or 6,000 unique items, those point of sale systems, um, kind of harder to come by. Right. Um, but it does keep me really organized and then I can see, okay, like we're doing really great with like 1970s shirts right now. Like this is something that we need to kind of push more. Yeah. Um, we have certain racks of items that, you know, this is what's on Etsy. This is what's on eBay, um, labels on shelves. So when something sells online in the listing, it'll say like bin number three. Okay. And then we'll know where that is. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it just like a time. little like a warehouse system, <laughs> a mini warehouse. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it is like a little mini warehouse system. <laughs> Pick from bin three. Yeah, and then when I buy things, there's I have to be putting I have to price them, but right. I might not have time to. So we have bins there too, where it says, okay, like these are where all the scarves are, and this is where the tops are, and this is you know where purses are. So if somebody comes in and says, do you have any additional purses? I can pull out that bin and say, well, these aren't priced yet, but they're up next. Right. Um, right. So yeah, you, know, yeah, you know where to grab from if you need it. So. Right. Awesome. And my staff would know where to grab from. So if I'm not there for not losing a sale. Right. Speaking of um, staff, do you have any advice for people who are looking to hire for their shops? And do you feel like there's maybe any hiring mistakes you've made along the way that you'd want to share? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to find people that are enthusiastic, that are excited. Um, You're never going to have anybody walk in who knows, you know, every single era and every single designer and how to do all of the tasks. But if you find somebody that's excited about learning and excited about being part of your small business, like that's something you can't teach. You you can't grow that enthusiasm. Um, I think it's important to, you know, talk to your staff about how many questions do you have? Just ask me a question. You can ask me 10 times if you want to have an open line of communication with them. Um, And, it's hard because my my business is such a piece of me that you want to share a lot of things, but there are some things that need to hold true to your business and that it's not something you should talk to your employees about. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, having an NDA would be a pretty good idea, like a non-compete. Yes. And that's something that, yeah, that I've kind of, you know, neglected on a couple of times and it's come back to kind of bite me in the ass. Um, but those are also learning experiences, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you have to have those sometimes. That's just the way life is. I mean, we, yeah. we go through the same thing here, you know, where we kind of sit down and shake our heads and, you know, then you learn and, and you move on. Um, but it's, you know, I feel like at the end of the day, it's hard to find um it's hard to find good employees that are, like you said, that have the level of enthusiasm. So I think that's definitely something to, um, to look out for when you're hiring. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we even had a, a, an intern recently who was 15 and, oh, wow. you know, she was, yeah, pretty young, but man, she loved to be there. And every time she shows up, she's wearing a vintage dress that she got, you know, at the Aww. store. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we have to remind ourselves, take some time out from the busy day and make sure that they're learning from you, that you're keeping them engaged. And it's not just like steam this, hang that. <laughs> right. No. And I, I definitely can agree with that too. Cause I've done that with some, some of the interns that we've had, you know, we're like, we, we stop and we say, okay, we can't just like keep giving them these mundane tasks. Like we have to give them something fun, something educational. So I think that that's definitely a good call out is just, you know, don't make it. I mean, I think like a fashion internship has just become such like a weird, there's just been a weird stigma behind it now, you know, I mean, in Mm -hmm. like the last decade or so, or maybe even before that, but I, I think that it's important to not make it so, so boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I learned from my employees and my interns as well. Totally. You know, at that right now I had my one intern create a report on TikTok. <laughs> like, tell me, you know, I'm 40. So for me, I'm like, okay, tell me about, tell me about the TikTok is what I've been joking about. Like, I'm like, oh, one more social media platform to, to look into. But, um, you know, I felt that way about Instagram and now it's a huge part of our business. Yep. Yeah. And no, they help you to keep your pulse on that sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. especially because I, I mean, I'm 32 and like, I don't know anything about TikTok. I was, I just, as soon as I saw it come out, I was like, oh God, not another thing, you know, but yeah. at the same time you have to be kind of flexible with that sort of thing and be willing to learn. So I think that's awesome that you're able to to learn from them yeah yeah we're looking at depop also and oh yeah we we have like a color coding system on our tags which i picked up up from a um, resale shop in la Mm -hmm. that you know red would mean ebay and blue is etsy and that way we could cross post a lot of our inventory um but if it sells on one platform we would know to take it off of the other totally that's cool so we're looking into Depop. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that. Yeah. Um, what made you expand to your, your current location from your previous location? I was obsessed with this location because it had corner windows. Um, it was originally a toy store, yeah? Or like a gift yeah. shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good memory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of both. <laughs> so I totally stalked her. <laughs> yeah. I was like, and I found out that she was um, month to month. And I said, you know, I want, I talked to the landlord and I'd signed a paper saying I wanted, you know, first right of refusal in the space if she were ever to leave. Nice. Um, yeah. So I only moved 300 feet, but my prior window um, space was five feet, you know, five by five feet, basically. Right. Um, and because inventory is so varied, having a larger window space would allow us to showcase that variety. Um, so I moved to that larger space about eight years ago, maybe mm-hmm. nine years ago. And then three or four years ago, the space next to that, um, which used to be like a sex shop, yeah. she went out of, <laughs> she went out of business. Yeah. And, um, I took over that space as well as our showroom for designers, dealers, stylists, like, um, larger buyers. Cause, I realized that I was losing some business. We would have movies and TV shows come in because they're not usually shopping seasonally. Right. So it's like, oh yeah, well, I I do have a bunch of 1940s, you know, winter jackets, but they're packed away. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, or we would have, you know, clothing design companies want you know, holiday-like embellishments and it would be like April. Right. So by having the showroom space next door, we could say like, oh, well, why don't come with me and I can show you another 20 racks um, and like a bin full of select appliques from the 30s and 40s that you could buy. Um, so we could kind of not lose that money either because you can never put everything online in this kind of business you just have too much stuff right well I'm sure it's nice for them as well and nice for you now that it's kind of like out in the open they can at least you know you have easy access to it they have easy access to it it's not like you know you're like oh crap this is packed away and I'm missing the sale or whatever so now I'm sure it's just made things a lot easier yeah awesome yeah um, what challenges have you faced due to COVID and, and how have you evolved to face them head on? So my boutique has always been open seven days a week. Um, so we're really used to that type of traffic. Um, the showroom space, we would open up maybe three or four times a year to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, during those sales, we would sell maybe two to 300 pieces in a day. Wow. So because we lost a lot of our shows and that walk-in traffic, we really had to pivot to put a lot more online. Mm-hmm. And I used to focus on my online items as being at a higher price point because it's time-consuming. Right. It takes the same amount of time to post a $30 item as it does a $300 item. Totally. So if I'm going to pay somebody to do that, I, I need to make sure I'm making enough money to cover the cost. Um but we like to engage our clients that have a, a lower price point. So we changed a lot on Etsy and on Instagram as promoting our lower priced items. And um, because free shipping is something that everybody wants, right. focusing on items that are lightweight so we wouldn't be out so much in shipping. That's smart. Um, you know, I, I don't mind shipping a coat to somebody, but if it's, you know, $120 item and you want free shipping and it's $30 to ship it, I mean, you can bump up your prices, which a lot of people do to cover those shipping costs, but right. then it puts you in a different area. Um, we have changed the shopping model to be appointment only, right. which Anybody can make an appointment and the appointment setup is through Square, but okay. you can access it on Google, the website, Instagram, anywhere. Make an appointment and then it's just you or you and a friend and me and an employee and you don't have to worry about people walking in and out the whole time. Right. Yeah, so um, you have a, lot, it, a lot less. Um, you're very socially distanced while, while they're doing this. There's not that many yes. people there. Yes. So, and, you know, I miss the walk-in traffic. Oh, of course. I, 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 I've been in retail since I was 15, you know, um, but there's also that aspect of our mental health and maintaining that as well. And right now it's just too stressful to, you know, maintain a level of cleanliness that I'm comfortable with, that my staff is comfortable with, um, especially because a lot of our sellers are older people too. Yeah. So I, I feel like a commitment to them to provide an, an, you know, a shop that I don't have to worry about cross contamination. Yeah, I mean, because they're they're so vulnerable right now. Yeah. So that's that's really, mm-hmm. you know, nice on your part to to think that way and consider it. Okay. Yeah. Um, what percentage of your wardrobe is vintage? You know, I'm thinking it's probably eighty percent. Nice. nice. I'm yeah. A, I'm about there too. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we we did a um, a couple of years ago. We created like a formula to see you know how much through our point of sale system have we saved out of landfills. You know, like I, if the average item has a weight of like one pound, you know, we've sold X amount of pieces over the past fifteen years, and we figured out we've saved close to thirty seven tons out of landfills from wow. people shopping just at my store. Oh, cool. Um, I think, you know, talking about how, what percentage of our wardrobes are vintage that it's like, well, what percentage of our wardrobes are sustainable? Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, do you have any favorite pieces, like maybe three, three favorite pieces that you could talk about? Personal favorite pieces. Personal favorite pieces. Um, I love a good vintage, uh, Diamond Furstenberg wrap dress. Yeah. Totally. especially with, as you know, women, our weights kind of fluctuate here and there. It's nice to have a wrap dress that can kind of accommodate that and still make you feel sexy and pretty, you know? Oh, yeah. I think that's why that was such a monumental piece because yeah. it was so versatile to, like you said, that kind of constant fluctuation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what else. My wedding rings are really special to me. They're from the twenties. Um, Lovely. Yeah. they bring me joy um are they diamonds or is it a they're diamonds they're they're platinum yeah and um they're just i don't know i feel like comfortable wearing them i I miss them if i don't have them on you know i can't wear them to work all the time because i don't want the hangers to kind of mess them up you know but they're special to me and the third i have this lavender purple macrame vest that i bought in argentina that's from the shoulders to the the hips it's macrame and then from the hips to the floor it's fringe i was gonna say is it fringed (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i'm like five six and it hits the ground on me so it's it's definitely dramatic it travels well and i can wear it like all seasons and it you know, makes me think of my family there and that trip, those trips. So, oh, I love yeah. that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing those. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could go back and start all over with your business, what is one thing that you personally would do differently? I would have hired people earlier. Okay. Um, the first couple years of my business, it was really just me. I mean, I worked. I want to say probably seven days a week for like three or four years in the beginning. Um, Occasionally I'd have a friend or two, um, you know, manage the shop on like a Sunday or like on a slow day. Um, But I wish I'd hired people more often to take on some of those responsibilities and then also establish more of like a self-care routine of like, recognizing that coming home and washing clothes or going to the dry cleaner and the seamstress and a house call was not really a day off. No. <laughs> that that was, <laughs> um, you know, now I think a lot of us struggle since working from home and doing social media for our businesses, like, okay, well, it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night or, you know, midnight that I need to check this or get back to that person, but kind of saying like, okay, this is work. And, you know, I'm not somebody's physician giving you test results. It's about a necklace and y'all can wait. Yeah, I always I always <laughs> say um, and it's been a hard lesson learned, but there's no emergencies in fashion. You know, we're not yeah. we're not saving lives. Well said. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's funny. I'm thinking back to I mean, I started school at Westchester University in 2006. And I do. I mean, I remember the first few years coming in. It was always you there. 
You know, I don't remember anybody else. I know, I know. And I felt committed to it. And I think, you know, thinking I wanted to build my business and be responsible for it. And it's, it's okay to not be there all the time. It's okay to delegate responsibilities and, you know, it's, it's not going to catch on fire, you know, and okay. What if you're not watching and something like a $30 item gets stolen? Okay. Well that happens, you know, what happened if I'm working too, but just, you know, enjoying your life while running your business is a, it was a, a struggle for me. Yeah. No, and I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with, and I'm glad that you you called it out for my listeners because I'm sure there's plenty of people that agree with what you said, so thank you. Yeah, somebody said to me once, they said, you know, on your deathbed, nobody's going to look back at your life and say, oh, I wish I had worked those two extra days. Totally, totally. (laughs) You're going to look back and think, you know what, I wish I went to Spain or, you know, I wish that I, you know, had an extra lunch with my, you know, family member that passed away or something like that. But you're not going to wish you went to work more. You're not going to remember the nitty gritty mundane, you know, (laughs) definitely not. Um, My last question for you um, before we wrap up, where do you see your shop in five years? You know, before all this COVID stuff, I really thought I just wanted to be online, that after 17 years that the the brick and mortar was kind of dying out. Um, But seeing the enthusiasm and the commitment that my local customers have really, you know, been reaching out to us, contacting us, asking if they could help, seeing that that has built like a big community, I do enjoy the brick and mortar part. Um, I'd like to maybe transition to not seven days a week. Yeah. Um, so we can have more of an experience of maybe four or five days a week, mm-hmm. um, or four days a week and then like larger events and releases. Um, that's kind of more what I'm thinking and I'm enjoying, you know, zoom shopping with some customers right now, which is fun. Oh, cool. So we yeah. can, yeah. So we can kind of connect with them that way. Um, well, and maybe it's nice that you found a positive out of COVID, you know what I mean? That yeah. you, you were thinking one way and now you're kind of like, well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I love the idea of doing something in California. We've been thinking about that for a couple oh, yeah. years now. My husband and I both have a lot of family out there. Oh, nice. Um, maybe start out by doing, you know, a show or two and, you know, dipping our toes in the water or, maybe doing like a pop-up shop for like a week or two. Yeah. Because you can rent like those temporary retail spaces. Oh, yeah. Our friend Um, just told us about that. There's some sort of app. I can't remember what it's called, but he does it. And um, it's very like non-committal you know what I mean it's Mm -hmm. it's very temporary and it's people are really taking advantage of it right now no I think you totally should have you been out to California much yes yeah absolutely yeah my brother's in um Orange County and then my husband has family and friends all over so cool but (laughs) nicer weather (laughs) yeah totally totally um, okay, so why don't you, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but if you just want to tell everyone where they can find you, um, both physically and, well, I mean, obviously in Westchester, but if there's anything you want to add and then obviously online. Sure. So um, the boutique is 101 West Gay Street in downtown Westchester. And like I said, just schedule an appointment, you know, for the time being to come in and shop and you don't have to buy anything. Just come and poke around. It's fun. 
Um, on Etsy, it is Miss Malena's Vintage. Malena is spelled M-A-L-E-N-A. Instagram, Miss Malena, M-S-M-A-L-E-N-A. Or on Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, all of the things. And um, maybe TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe TikTok, maybe Depop. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you'll be adding to that list. Awesome. I know. <laughs> but thank you so much for this. This is great. Oh yeah, no, I had a good time. It was fun talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh you stay safe and best of luck with everything in the future, Melena. Thanks, you too. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.